this uh, meal week is one of the weeks that people scratch their heads a little about, about when they come into the church next door. I've actually seen people show up at the door and uh, see the tables and the food and turn around and walk out before we could even catch them and say, hey, this, this is church. It just looks a little bit different than what you're used to. And sometimes we get the question, why do you do this every third Sunday of the month? And there's a couple, couple reasons why we enjoy this. Uh, in addition to the fact that food is just good, and we've got to eat anyway, so we might as well do it together. Um, Acts chapter 2, those early believers, it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we're used to that in church, right, the, the teaching of the Word of God. But that wasn't all they were devoted to. It says they were devoted to the fellowship. Fellowship is meaningful relationships. And How many of us know that doesn't just happen sitting next to a stranger watching the stage every week. There's, there's not a whole lot of fellowship that goes in there. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, and in our case, pepperoni and cheese, and the prayers. Later on, it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And that's what, part of what we're hoping to reflect at our meal week, that as you sit down and eat, there's a genuine gladness that I get to spend time with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we get to know a little bit more about each other, that we get to share uh, life together, and a generous heart, it says they had. And one of the things we do every week at our meal week when we, when we have it is that basket back there. Those donations that went in there all go to help someone in our community that's in tough financial times. And I can tell you the last meal week we did the $200 that came in went to help one of our own, uh, Sarah, single mother in our congregation. She had to travel to Texas to take care of some things. And we got her a, a Visa gift card that was enabled her and her little girl, hallelujah, to get from here to Texas and uh, do, take care of the business that she needed to take care of. So you guys who are a part of that uh, got to share that burden. We're told to share each other's burdens in Galatians and who knows what God will use this week's for, but I hope that's what we're doing. We're eating together with glad and uh, generous hearts. The other reason we do it is when you look at the Lord's Supper in the Bible, you don't see something that's tacked on to the end of a service. You don't see something that's a, a one-minute exercise that has nothing to do with the rest of the evening. It was called the Lord's Supper for a reason. Uh, they ate there so much so that Paul had to tell some of the people not to eat so much because the other people weren't able to get some. And, and they had wine there, and some of them were drinking too much, and some of them were getting drunk. Now, I'm thinking it's pretty hard to do that on those little plastic uh, cups, and it's pretty hard to eat too much when you just got those little crackers. And we're going to have those at the end, but the point is they had a full meal. And part of the reason they had that meal, part of the reason they had the loaf there was to remind them not only of Jesus' death, but of the fact that as Jesus' body, we are one. We are one. That's why when they did it, they, they shared one loaf. Said it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Listen to this. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. I wonder how many times we've gone through the communion service without thinking about that person to the left or to the right that, wow, if they believe in Jesus, that's my brother, that's my sister. 
We're all one. We ought to enjoy being together. So that's some of the idea. I was thinking about tonight, and I want to get even a little more radical on us as a, as a group. One thing they knew clearly in the New Testament, and hopefully we know it too, is that Jesus was the head of his church. And Jesus still is the head of his church. Amen? That's a position that does not reside with any man. Jesus is in control, and even the way they gathered together reflected their belief that he was the one orchestrating what was happening through his Holy Spirit in his people. And I just want to read you an example of what a typical gathering in a first century home looked like for Christians. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one, and that's an important phrase, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Now, does that sound like one guy getting up front and, and doing all the ministry? No, you hear phrases there like each one, and they would, they would share as God laid on their hearts, and if we could lay aside for just a moment all the controversy that we get entangled in in there, what's a prophet, what about speaking in tongues, just set that aside for a moment and say, hey, the main point here is that everybody has something to contribute in the body of Christ. Everybody has some encouragement to offer the other people, and I thought, what could that look like on our meal week? How could we get just a taste of encouraging one another that way. And so tonight, we're going to do a little bit of an experiment at the church next door. And I'm looking forward to see what God's going to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share a couple things with you that God's been speaking to me about just in my quiet times as I read my Bible and pray the past week or two. And then after I'm done, we're going to sing another song and communion is going to be passed. The the, the bread and the juice, and I'm going to ask you to hold that, but the whole time I'm speaking and the whole time that's being passed, I want you to be asking God, God, is there anything you've been showing me that you want to use tonight to encourage my other brothers and sisters? It could be about the cross. It could be about forgiveness. It could be about Jesus. It could be something about the Father, the Holy Spirit. It could be Whatever he's been leading you in, and if you sense that he's leading you to share, we're going to have an open mic here, and you guys are going to lead us into that communion that we share together by coming up here as you're led and just sharing, hey, this is what God has been, been speaking to me about, and I want to encourage you guys. So, so pray about that. I don't want you to do it just because I'm throwing it out there, but if God is laying something on your heart, uh, come on up. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to share a couple thoughts. You guys be praying the same. Lord, uh, this is different than what we're used to. 
And yet it's clear that according to your word, each believer here has something to contribute. And uh, Lord, we want to really honor your headship of your church. I don't want to attempt to control what happens here in a way that limits your plan. Some might say it's risky. I say it's, it's trusting you, Jesus. You're the head. You have a plan. Your spirit resides in each of your children. So I don't know exactly what you, what you want to share, but I just ask that you would have your way and that at the end, uh, we would find that we're encouraged and built up. And Lord, that, that you're glorified more than anything. As we share communion together, I pray that this would be more than a ritual, but it would just really be meaningful as we draw together as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to start out by something, sharing something that I read in, in my own quiet time a couple weeks ago that struck me in a way that it never struck me before. You guys have noticed you can read through the Bible and each time something, depending on what God's wanting to do in your life, the Spirit has a way of shining a flashlight on some certain part. And right now I'm in the Gospels. I don't know how many times I've read the Gospels in my life, but I was in Luke chapter 9, and you guys have heard this story. It's the story where Jesus was up on the mountain with his disciples, a few of them, and he was transfigured. His glory was shown. It was this mountaintop moment, and it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 37, on the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. What parent can't connect with what this guy, I mean, we love our kids, right? He says, behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Listen to this. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Why don't you remember this phrase here? I begged them to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you here and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Other passages say that Jesus added... These kind of demons only come out by prayer and by fasting. Now, you remember what the man said to Jesus? I asked them to throw it out, but they could not. The context is important in Scripture, right? Earlier in that same chapter, this is what I never noticed before, how these fit together. Chapter 9, verse 1, it says, He called the 12 together. Listen, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, what struck me about that passage is Jesus had given those disciples everything they needed to be able to cast out that demon. He gave them his authority to do that. He said all demons. So all includes the demon in this story. But these disciples, because of their lack of faith, their lack of prayer, and or their lack of fasting, could not access the power that Jesus had freely given them. 
And it made me start to look at my own life and say, what areas of my own life am I selling God short on? What areas of my own life is he calling me to make a difference in our world? But because I don't really believe that he's serious when he gave me that power in the Holy Spirit, because I don't pray and ask him for that power in specific situations, maybe even because I don't fast and focus my mind and my heart on who he is above even my food, how much am I missing out on in this journey that he's got me on? Stuff that I could be doing in his power. And I thought about one specific thing we know he's called us to do. We talk about this a lot here with our missional communities. Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's that word authority again. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples, followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what we want to happen in our missional communities. But are we trusting? Are we trusting that God can do that through us, that he can use you and me to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus, to introduce them to Christ and teach them how it ought to change their lives? Do we really believe that? Are we praying for that? Are we fasting for that? That's the first thing that God's been working with me on. The second one was another familiar story in Luke. You remember the story about the guys that Jesus is in a house that got so full that they couldn't get in the front door, but there's four guys that got a friend who's paralyzed. And they loved him so much that they climb up on the flat roof, dig a hole in the roof, and they lower him down right in front of Jesus. You guys remember that story? I don't know why this never hit me in all the times I've read it, but I want you to, to read what happens there. Luke 5, 17 through 20. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, and this is where it struck me afresh this week, from a human perspective, the worst thing going on in that guy's life was his physical paralysis, right? That's what his friends wanted healed. They wanted to take him to Jesus so he could move again. You know, and just any one of us who saw someone paralyzed would look at them and say, wow, that their greatest need is for them to be able to move their limbs and experience life like the rest of us, right? It's a legitimate need, and most of us would think that's the biggest pressing need. But when this man who cannot move his body is lowered before Jesus, the first thing he says is, man, he says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Jesus is looking at this paralyzed guy who can't move, and the first thing he says to him is, your sins are forgiven. And it's kind of like one of those moments where you pause, scratch your head, think, and say, wait a second. Jesus 
perspective on what really matters in life, what's the real underlying issue in life is much different than ours. In his spiritual eyes, what was more important than the fact that this man's body was paralyzed was the fact that he was spiritually dead. And Jesus looked through the paralysis and said, man, I'm going to deal with your real underlying eternal need. Your sins are forgiven because of your faith. And I think about that as we look at our world. There's a lot of symptoms out there, and that's what that paralysis was. It was a symptom of the sin and the fall in this world. There's a lot of symptoms. Look at Occupy Wall Street right now. The economy is broken. People are upset. That's a symptom. There's wars going on. That's a symptom. There's sickness everywhere. That's a symptom. And I think if, if Jesus could speak to us tonight, and he can through his word, he would tell us, keep your eyes on what's eternally important. Yes, I care about the economy. Yes, I care about the wars. Yes, I care about the hurt and the pain. But ultimately, I care about the fact that people are headed for a Christless eternity if they don't trust in Jesus. And I wonder, what, how would we operate differently if we saw as Jesus saw? We wouldn't ignore the paralysis. We wouldn't ignore the other things. But how would that change our conversations? How, that, how would that change the way we related to people? Now, you guys know he went on to take care of the paralysis, too, to prove to the Pharisees that he could forgive sins. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. He healed the man to show his authority to forgive sins. And it makes me think, as we're in our missional communities, as we're doing our service projects out there, as we're loving on our neighborhood, may we have the same ultimate purpose in mind. Not just to have people look on and say, wow, he can walk again, or wow, they painted that building, or wow, they, they did this or that, but to point them to a Savior who can forgive and meet their ultimate needs, right? Whether it's in your missional community or in your life. That's what was on my heart tonight, and I'm going to summarize it with a verse, and we're going to sing a song, and I want you to pray about what would God have you share Jesus' purpose for coming, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His purpose was to give his life. Lord, I pray that uh, as we prepare to pass the communion, that you would challenge us with, with your perspective on this world. You love the world so much you sent your Son. And his spiritual perception was right on the most important need our friends and neighbors and family that don't know you have is for their sins to be forgiven. And Father, I pray that we would follow Jesus in his example. 
to point out that truth in love, to meet the physical needs when we can, but only, only in light of the fact that we want to point them to a Savior who can forgive their sins. And Lord, help us to believe. These people are like me. We often feel insignificant and insecure. Uh, Lord, we, we wonder why you chose us. Can you really use us, God? And your word says you can, just like you gave those disciples that authority to go out there and cast out that demon, but they didn't trust you, Lord. May that not be us in our lives. You've given us authority. You're with us to help us make disciples and be a light outside these four walls. God, help us to trust that that's really, truly available to us in your power. Lord, I pray that as communion's passed, that your spirit would just move in this room. And any of your children that you've been laying something on their heart, just bring them up, encourage us. Pray that you'd be glorified as we share together. Lord, as we remember your death and resurrection, Lord, that it would bring great praise to you. In Jesus' name. Now I want to invite you, if God's laying anything on your heart, just to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll, I'll bring this to you if you don't want to come up here. Anybody got anything they'd like to share? I'll start to get it rolling if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Scott turned me on to the book not too long ago called Radical, and I've been reading through it and just kind of being challenged by that book. and and uh, just processing it as I read. And then uh, two weeks ago, my grandmother passed away and uh, back in Texas, and so we went back there. And uh, she was a believer, 88 years old, been sick, so we knew it was coming and, and uh, went quickly. And, and uh, during the, the visitation and all those things, you know, everybody tells the stories, and it's great to hear all the wonderful things that, that she'd done. But it wasn't until the funeral um, that I heard a story that just kind of like what Scott's been talking about, just really blessed me and encouraged me and taught me so much. And, and first thing was when uh, just about a month before she died, she told my mom, hey, go grab this folder. I want you to know where it is. She grabbed it. She said, okay, don't open it until I die, but that's everything I want at my funeral. She's like, it's already laid out for you. It's already done. And, um, and when they opened it, it said, I want to celebrate Christ. I want an Easter service at my funeral. So it was just an amazing funeral to begin with. But then he started telling this story about this family that's just come into the church. And uh, it's a Korean family who doesn't speak hardly any English. The, the wife does it. The husband is a postmaster and had been transferred to our little town in Texas. And uh, they got an apartment right behind the church. And my grandmother would see this guy's wife. They only had one car, so she always walked everywhere. And so anytime she saw her, she would stop and talk to her. Needed a ride somewhere, she'd give her a ride. Um, and just befriended her. And through that friendship, got her coming to church, um, introduced her to some other people in the church. From there, found out she played piano, so introduced her to the music director at the church. Um, through getting her to play piano in the church, her husband came to church. Um, it became a, just a big part of their family. When they had their baby two and a half months ago, they brought her up to her house, and we all called her Nani. And they said, Nani, here's your next grandchild. You know, she just became that much a big part of their life. And, and in a Lutheran church, you know, they, they practice infant baptism. And, and, um, and so the Saturday, she died on Monday morning at 2 a.m. And the Saturday before she died, the pastor got to come to her and he got to say, uh, 
they're going to be baptized. The, the, the mom, Yuna, and the baby are going to be baptized on the 23rd of October. And her words were just wonderful. And it was like God was saying, you've done well. Now it's time to come home. Hmm. And I thought, you know, trying to be missional, I think about, okay, Lord, what does that look like? How do I do it? My grandmother was 86 years old when she first got to know this lady. And she could pretty much just drive. She couldn't come over to her house and sit down and watch a show and <clears throat> take it through the gospel that way. She could drive. But she did what she could to serve the Lord and be missional and to reach out. And God used that hmm. to bring this family to his doorstep. And I thought, God, thank you for that encouragement. That it's not about any gift or any talent or any great words or any great ideas or anything that I have. It is by your grace and through your love and through me saying yes hmm. that we can be missional and that you can do the work in their lives. So that was just really encouraging for me um, to hear that story, to know that till the day before she died, my grandmother was still out there being missional and pursuing uh, people for the Lord. So yeah. it's cool. Thank you, Aaron. It's encouraging. Anybody else? Anybody else like to share a word of encouragement, scripture, prayer? I know it's out of the box. <laughs> okay. Andrew? Hi. Um, I'm Andrew. Um, new to you guys, substitute kind of drummer, part-time drummer, but I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you for being part of, uh, <laughs> making me part of your family uh, now and then. Um, my wife and I just got back from a, a long, a two-week trip, the longest trip we've ever taken, and we, we drove almost all the way, well, we drove 4,500 miles to Kentucky and back, seeing all the good stuff in between there and here. Um, and the reason we went is um, uh, the guy who's my a, a buddy in college, um, Travis, uh, and my best man at my wedding, he was getting married, so um, I wanted to be part of that, and he invited me to be a groomsman. We were out, and um, a couple times... You know, just complete strangers, you know, asking, you know, we're from Arizona or whatever, and, um, you know, well, what are you here for? I'm here for my friend's wedding. And people's responses, complete strangers, their response was, oh, sorry for your friend, or bummer, or, you know, uh, putting the ball and chain on, something like ridiculous like that. And I just felt so, at first I was taken aback, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, because I've heard that kind of thing before. And then I was just like, you don't know me at all, nor do you know him. And it was just a, a it brought a lot of grief to my heart to think that um, that's how marriage is viewed, is, a, is this um, shackling and this, like, end of the fun life or whatever. And, and okay, so I, I think of then uh, a, one of my favorite artists, um, musical artists, Andrew Peterson. He has a song called Dancing in the Minefields. And one of the lines is that he says... Um, uh, I do are the two most famous last words, the beginning of the end, but to lose your life for another I've heard is a good place to begin. Mm. And um, I, I you know, tried to just be kind of the voice to my friend to say, hey, look, there is a lot of sacrifice. There is a lot of um, laying down your life, and it's not all sunshine and roses. Um, I've been married for four and a half years to my wife. She's not here tonight, but um, 
but we've had a lot of good times, we've had a lot of hard times. And, and I think a lot of people go into marriage and, and think that, or, you know, that maybe it's to make you happy and you know, just make everybody feel good or whatever. And uh, that's, that's not the point of, of marriage, I don't think. Um, marriage is to be a picture of Jesus and his bride and the, the way that he sacrificed and laid down his life for, for us as the church. Um, so we were driving back at the end of two weeks in the car, and you know, my wife and I kind of were at each other's throats on the, one of the last days we were in Colorado. And um, that day, marriage didn't make me happy. It made me quite <laughs> upset. But it made me holy to think um, of all the, the ways that I've, I'm you know, giving up certain things for her. She's giving up certain things for me. It's a burden, don't get me wrong, but it's the best burden you can have. Um, it's, it's one of the, the most honorable and God-glorifying things if you can stick with it. And I don't know where you are in your marriages, um, if you're married or thinking about it or, you know, someday, um, you know, Paul says, let, uh, let marriage be honored by all. So whatever stage you are in, um, married, divorced, single, engaged, whatever, um, honor it because it's a picture of Christ in this church, if nothing else. And, uh, Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. That's a great picture that, you know, we shouldn't make communion the only time we think about the cross. It should be reflected even in our homes as the way we relate to each other. Um, Anybody else? We've got time for one or two more. I'll say something. Okay. Um, So almost a year ago, we lost our house to foreclosure, and it was tough for us. It was hard. Um, that's where our son took his first steps and where he learned to crawl and, you know, your basic first child new things that you get to experience. And we left that behind. Um, and yesterday, my, my son and my husband were sitting on the, a couch across from me. And I was just like, wow, I have the best life in the world. Like, I would not trade it for the world. I mean... God gave us this amazing place. Yeah, it's small, and it's not your American dream home, but you know what? It's something God gave us. I mean, we prayed, Lord, please give us a place that we can pay $5.50 a month, and he provided for us. And yesterday, I just sat there, and I was like, if we sat there and we're going to try to fight for that home, that earthly thing, we I wouldn't get to feel this feeling I have today, just sitting there and looking at my beautiful little little boy and my amazing godly husband and just saying wow thank you lord for what you've given me and thank you for letting me experience this in this now you know and not have to worry about money or anything because you provide lord so Mm. yeah it's beautiful keeps in perspective what's really important doesn't it anybody else have time for one more Kara? Uh, I'm Kara, and this is my husband, Ross, and um, Romans 2 talks about knowing if it's God's will, and Scott um, was a blessing to us. We have been struggling if we should be a part of a missional community, but we have teenagers, and it is the most amazing season of our Mm -hmm. life, but we can't give up evenings. We fill the time to have five of us around the kitchen table is our mission right now. And we were feeling drawn that we were supposed to go out and meet with other families, but we just knew um, 
This is a time that they're not deciding whether they should take the toy of the little toddler beside them. These are life consequences, uh, decisions that they're making, and we wanted to be a part of that. And so Scott led us to you know, the realization that his family made it a priority to make their home welcoming to teenagers, and maybe that's what God is leading us to. And we have, we've um, had, we call them hillbilly uh, movie night. We put the movie up on the big screen in the barn and bonfire and all sorts of things. And we're starting to realize what a mission field we have on our property. And we just want to thank you for leading us that way, Scott. Oh, we're excited for you. That's a great example of the fact that missional community is just a tool. The real goal is the Great Commission go out there and make disciples, and whether you're in a missional community or not is, is really secondary. That's the tool a lot of us are using, but it's not the only tool, and these guys are using their home to, to be a part of what Jesus has us for. Um, I just want to say, listening to all these, I see an amazing common denominator. None of these were planned. I keep hearing family, family, whether it's a grandma or a husband and a, or a wife and a boy or or your kids, and uh, I'm just reminded as we talked about being the body of Christ, all the love and devotion, you know, we ought to be examples to each other like your grandma was. We ought to lay down our lives for each other as husbands should for their wives. We ought to appreciate each other above all the, the worldly things, and, and we ought to, as a family, say, hey, we're here for a greater purpose than just us. We're here to be a light in our community, and I just want to say, I believe Jesus brought that together. He is the head, and he wanted us to hear that tonight. And I want us to take that with us this week. As we share this communion together, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we're a family. And I hope we continue to grow in those relationships and spur each other on to love and good deeds, to encourage each other. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, I passed on to you what I received as of first importance. The Lord Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then took the blood, said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Whenever you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for giving your life. Thank you for rising again, victorious over the sin and death that we were helpless against. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit, for coming into each one of us and making us a family. And Lord, I pray that we continue to grow in what that means on Sunday nights and our missional communities and our day in, day out lives. May we keep growing closer together in real community here so that we would show the world like you said, Jesus. You said they'll know we're your disciples by our love for each other. Let that be played out here. Lord, as we prepare to take our offering, I pray that it would be one more reflection of hearts and lives devoted to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that no one would give out of compulsion, but only as you lead. And 
that we would give hilariously, generously, as, as you say in Corinthians, Father, for you and for your kingdom. May you take these offerings and use them for your glory as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.